I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. And you are in Ottawa, Canada. I'm in Malmo, Sweden. And, you know, this is like how we live these days. But there is a time before we were traveling the world. There was. And you, Leilani, you, you've been traveling worlds, the world since you were a kid. Your parents are Palestinian Canadians. Uh, or, or they are Palestinians and you're Canadian-Palestinian. Well, I don't know what the combination goes, but, but your father also lived in Athens. You also talked to me about your childhood in Athens. It's true. So uh, my parents identify actually as Lebanese-Canadian uh, with deep roots in Palestine because those borders, as we know, were manufactured. And so my father's lands, for example, spanned what are now two countries, northern Israel and southern Lebanon. So uh, identifies as Lebanese-Canadian. But when I was about seven years old, my parents divorced, and my father moved to Athens, Greece, of all places. And he did that because at the time, Athens was kind of a gateway to the Middle East, and he was doing a lot of work in Saudi Arabia. And, and I think this is interesting. It was a kind of tax-free zone for foreign nationals. So he could live and work there and not pay a cent in taxes. So so he moved there and I spent every summer from when I was seven until I was in my late, late teens, early 20s in Athens and on the islands. Mm. So it's like my second home. Luxury life. So what are we going to talk about <laughs> today? We're going to talk about Greece. And you know what? We have a friend of yours invited to the podcast, and it's Sotiris Sideris, and he is a data journalist. I don't know what a data journalist is, but we will find out. And he's also the co-founder of a lab called Athens Live. So welcome to Pushback Talk, Sotiris. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you and talk to you. So uh, what, is, what is a data journalist? It's just a journalist working with data. It's not a new role or a new profession. Journalists have been digging into data since actually the 70s or even before. But now we have new tools, more sophisticated and stronger tools in order to dig into these rows and columns in Excel. That's cool. I mean, I've been talking a lot about Greece because when I did my film Big Boys Gone Bananas, I've been talking about, you know, how to shift the focus away from a story that is that we all should talk about. In that case, it was the banana workers being being poisoned. But you know, the the big financial crisis two thousand eight. Many of us thought, okay, now we will finally talk about the responsibility of the, the of the financial circuits, the banks, and so on. But what did we end up talking about? We ended up talking about the Greeks, the Greeks being lazy, irresponsible. They were like retiring when they were like 32. It was like a lot of uh, amazing stories coming out about, and so there was a lot of pressure on your country. And of course, now it's, it's 12 years later, and there is, okay, what happened? When, because I, I have a friend who was a translator f at the European Commission 
translating the directives to Greece. He, actually, he's he can he's Swedish, but he speaks very well Greek, and he he. Uh, he, he shook his head and said, the EU is such a neoliberal concept. These directives are the worst I've ever seen. They're going in, they're in every tiny detail, they're going to liberalize or deregulize the, the, the Greek economy. And now, and now we know the effects. So shortly, so it is a little teaser. What was the effect of all this happening to your country? Well, uh, the last 10 years have been very, very difficult for our people in Greece. The unemployment is still very high. I think it's the highest in uh, the European Union. Austerity measures, recessions, this all happened after the first memorandum in 2010. And we, we have seen, we, we still see the effect today. Uh, we have seen a boom in homelessness. We have seen this boom in unemployment. Uh, lots of people lost their jobs and their houses. So it's been a very, very difficult decade, As in, especially today during COVID-19. You can see how this whole decade has been still influencing our health system and our housing market and our people in general. So it's been a very, very difficult decade in the modern history of Greece. Mm. Leilani, you, with your love of Greece, you, of course, you, you followed this story intensely. What do you see? I did follow it, and I, I still try to follow what's happening in Greece. Um, I have to say, when I was appointed special rapporteur, um, I actually, one of the first countries I requested to visit was Greece, uh, because I could see the particularity of the austerity measures in Greece and the way they were manifesting in the area of housing. And I was also interested, which isn't that as common in, in the human rights world for some reason, but I was really interested in the relationship between the deeply personal toll it was taking on families and the austerity measures. And I mean, in Greece, because Greeks, and I know this from my experience of having spent so much time there, are an emotional, deeply emotional people. There was a way in which it was very accessible. You could see the suffering. And I didn't want to exploit that, but I I felt there was something very particular here that we could tap into. The cruelty of austerity measures seemed so obvious to me in the context of Greece. Unfortunately, I was not invited into the country um, by the government. So they invited um, the special rapporteur on uh, foreign debt, um, I, if I recall. Um, so he went. Um, but um, uh, I could see unfolding in a country that is so reliant on tourism. I could see that there was going to be a huge impact on housing and real estate uh, of these austerity measures. And I think Sotiris can speak to whether... That was that is the case, and w what's going on in that regard? Yeah, so Thierry, it's obviously a lot of your homes went out to the up for buys, you know, in in many ways. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, let's go a bit back in history, how and how Athens particularly uh, was built. I mean that back in the fifties, after the civil war in Greece. Uh, people were migrating in Athens from other areas of Greece and they were able to build or buy their own houses 
by their own means, meaning that a state plan was totally absent when it comes to how the city is going to be built. So they, w- they would pay a friend or a family member, a builder, an amateur builder, in order to build their houses. So the whole city was built as an ad hoc, in an ad hoc manner. And we ended up with several homes owned by a family. Home ownership is very, very high in Greece and in general in the south part, in the southern part of Europe. So we we have around 70% of home ownership uh, in Greece and a tradition of the family uh, giving away the home to the younger members of the family, like a donation, in order to start their life with the house. So this uh, was happening until the 80s and 90s, and then after the recapitalization of the Greek banking system by the European Union, the only way to have access to housing was, of course, by uh, borrowing from the bank. Uh, so that's how the whole... Uh, market of housing was expanded in the first years of the 2000s. And then, as you said, the crisis kicks in uh, in uh, 2008 and we end up with thousands of families not being able to pay back their debts to the banks, meaning that around 2016, 50% of all loans to the banks were non-performing. One in two loans were non-performing, meaning that the debtor hadn't paid back their debt for three months, 90 days. Which, of course, these put pressures on both the banking sector, but mainly on uh, the households. And in order for Greece to get rid of those non-performing loans and after an agreement as part of the memoranda with the European Union, Greece started foreclosing these properties, the properties that come as mortgages to a non-performing loan and uh, they also started this process of auctioning. Today this percent, the NPL percent is around 36 to 39%, which is lower than what we had in 2016, but still the highest in Europe. Can we just to rewind a little bit? Because it's a lot of numbers here. But first of all, people, at one time in history, people could get, they sold loans to people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who before didn't have any loans in their homes, suddenly they have some loans exactly. to make repairs and stuff. And then at the second stage in history, after the financial crisis, now a lot of people can't pay their mortgages because a lot of them are unemployed because of the same crisis. Exactly. And now 50% of all homes, it's a little bit lower today than it was 16. People are maybe forced to sell their homes. So it's like it's, which means that the whole feature of, of Athens is it's changing in that sense, that so people are not anymore owning their own city. It's like, and who are the new owners of your city then? That's a very good question. Unfortunately, we do not have access to this kind of data in Greece. There is not an online a digital property registry, so we do not really know who owns what in Greece. Uh, we only know about big foreign corporations coming into and buying hotels 
in the center of Athens because of this big touristic boom we have seen lately, especially after the introduction of Airbnb in Greece and in Athens. And uh, they also buy big chunks of property, meaning that there have been stories of a foreign investor buying a whole block of apartments, renovating it, turning it into an Airbnb area, an Airbnb zone in the center of Athens. So personally, in order to find out who is owning what in Greece, I've been researching a lot the whole process of housing auctions, of private property auctions. So here comes the data journalist. You're looking into all this and you've made a database of, of the auctions you've seen. Is that the story? Yeah, I've been building this uh, big database of um, auctions, meaning that there is an online platform where all the auctions are being listed. This is a prerequisite in order for an auction to be initiated. We need a court decision that initiates the auction and then this auction is being published online in this platform. So I've been scraping this platform since 2019. Today we have around 80,000 of auction properties, not only houses, we also have plots, we have factories, we have hotels, we have even hospitals. So this is what you found out is for sale. Exactly, exactly. And you're trying to, to gather this data so you actually can tell the people and tell the politicians of your country that, hey, my country is for sale. This is, it might not be so good for us as a people <laughs> because only the Airbnb, I guess, means that the face of the city has changed a lot. I, I've, I've been many times to Athens. It's it was, as I remember, it's a very lively and diverse city. It's a big change. It is a big change. Of course, it is a really diverse city. Uh, if we consider also the newcomers, the refugees, the asylum seekers and the migrants. Migrants have been here since the 90s, but we all know uh, the big influx of 2015. We also have this golden visa scheme, which is one of the cheapest. It's the cheapest in Europe. So you can actually buy a house or property in general for 250,000 euros. So you all, at the same time, you are buying a European passport, which lasts for five years for you and your family. So we have seen a boom in this as well. We have seen people uh, non-European centering Europe and Greece in particular in order to buy these properties and passports and then invest in tourism. This is what they say. They, they love being here themselves because of the good weather, because of this whole tourism thing. But they also want to invest. They want to do business when it comes to tourism and Airbnb. So we have seen a big boom uh, here as well. Who are the people buying golden visas? Do you have, is there any special feature of them? Yeah, the majority of them come uh, comes from China because we also have a big investment at the port of Piraeus, which is the biggest port in Greece. There have been a big, a huge investment by Costco, which is a Chinese company. So basically, Greece sold its its main harbor to the Chinese. A part, a part of it, not the, not the whole port, but a very big part of it, which is uh, the cargo part of the port. Yeah, of course. So a big boom in logistics 
comes along the way as well. We have seen people from Israel buying property through the Golden Visa Scheme. We have seen people from Turkey, Russia, of course. These are the main actors when it comes to Golden Visa. I heard in Portugal, if they are, you're not allowed to invest any longer in Lisbon and Porto and the Algarve area, but in other cities you can still invest and come in with your money. I mean, the Golden Visa is there to invite foreign investors. It's good for the country if we invite foreign investors. But the experiences from from Vancouver, from Toronto, from uh, Lisbon, Porto, Malta, Cyprus is that people are just buying properties. They don't necessarily stay in the country, but they move in a lot of money and they push up the value of the property market, but they don't really create any jobs. That's the story I've heard. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's, of course, in every country, that's correct. And it's just a money laundering, uh, safe haven place for corrupt individuals, corrupt money, etc. I I mean, my sense is, and I'm interested to know if Sotiris agrees, that the, the Golden Visa program is problematic, obviously, in countries like Greece. But I my sense is that Air, the Airbnb the, the penetration of foreign ownership th- through Airbnb is worse because Greece is so reliant on tourism for its economy. So it's so integrated now into its economy. I mean, I if I recall from your own data scraping, um, there was in a two-year period between 2015 and 2017, there was like an almost 60% increase in the amount of Airbnb lets in in Athens and I mean that's huge and when it's such a I forget what percentage of your GDP tourism is but it's really high I mean obviously Greece is a tourist destination so the threat there is so real Um, I don't know what's happening now with Airbnb and, and if you agree with my analysis that maybe it's the bigger threat yeah I totally agree well I mean that when we look at Airbnb in Athens specifically, we can see that more than 90% of all the listings refer to whole apartments. We are, they are not referring to a spare room or a private room in a bigger house, uh, which is actually how Airbnb started promoting itself. Like, you can share your extra room in your house or you can rent your house while you are out of the city. But what we are seeing in Athens is that whole apartments, whole whole buildings are being um, turned into Airbnbs. So this means that because there is not a regulation when it comes to rentals, people can ask for whatever money they want for a night for for an Airbnb guest. But at the same time, because they can see this growth around their neighborhoods and this increase in rentals, they can change the rent and they can increase it without further notice or early notice to to the ones who live in the house. So we have seen a big increase in the rental prices because of Airbnb specifically and combine this with the huge unemployment rates we have been talking about. So so people have to leave the town. They're they're being they're being pushed out as we or the scientific term we have Exactly, exactly people being pushed out and that's this is like a, a global pattern because this pushing out people from cities happens in london in barcelona everywhere 
because and it's mainly the same factors even if the the touristification factor is extra strong in 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 a city like like Athens exactly and you can see how a family who owns one or two houses can be okay to list their extra room or their house on Airbnb but this is not the case anymore in Athens actually it never was the case is that they come big investors come buy whole apartments and whole blocks of apartments and rent them on Airbnb which means that these properties are not in the are not available in the rental uh, market for the people here are people angry around this is there anything organized resistance around these issues uh well the whole discussion is being polarized as everything in greece so on the one hand you have the owners of these properties who list them on airbnb who say that listen guys this is the only way for us to have an income because we do not we cannot have proper jobs so they inherit their house from their grandmothers and they uh, put it on Airbnb, which is okay for them. On the other side, you have the actual people who live in these neighborhoods who cannot afford their houses anymore, so they are obliged to live. So when it comes to Airbnb, there, there have been an organized action against it in many areas of the center, areas that were not that popular before the rise of Airbnb. And after uh, Airbnb came to Athens, these people started being kicked off of their houses. Uh, there is a specific area in Athens called Kukaki, which is one of the biggest Airbnb zones in Athens, which used to be a real low-income area before 2016, 2015. And after that, more than 70% of the people who were living there were obliged to leave their houses. 70%? Yeah. That's like an, that's a, that, that's an exodus. That's, a, that's like a war coming by or, 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 or a pandemic mm. or something like that. That's, it's, it's really strong. And, and I think it's in many ways an untold story. It's interesting how, how much Greece was in the focus of global media when you were like the bad guy of Europe or the lazy guy. I mean, this, they sold the story very well. And I think it was, for me, it was upsetting also at that time. Um, but, but since then, nobody's coming back and reporting of the, the damage that that reporting and that PR spin, because that PR spin was actually there to save the faces of the banks, to save the faces of the people being irresponsible. Because, I mean, the, the financial crisis became because of uh, financial guys uh, sending out too much money. They actually wanted to give away loans to people who couldn't pay them back. They were, it, it was also a business. And that very irresponsible business created, I mean, in the U.S., 13 million people lost their homes in the United States. I mean, so in, in Spain, it meant 800,000 people lost their homes. This was an irresponsible financial sector. But then we talked about Greece, all of us. And now we don't talk about Greece. Yes, we do in Pushback Talks, Leilani. We do, don't we? Yeah. Yes, we do. We do. And I want to, if I might, bring us right to the present um, and talk a little bit more about the auction of homes. Because... 
um, this seems like the new frontier or something. Um, and I'm not sure people un- would understand or even know that that these auctions, as I understand it, Sotiris, and you can you can explain it better, but they're happening online. So in other words, you could ostensibly be sitting in New York and buy a house just like that online in Athens, even in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, And so to me, of course, you know, I'm always looking like, where are the caution flags? Where are the alarm bells going off for me? And when I heard about these online auctions, the alarm bells go off because this is the trick of the trade for international investors. This is what they like. The easier it is, the less involved they have to be. They just want the structure to pour the money into to extract the money out of. So so what's happening with that? Do you have any sense of, am I right? Is it is it these foreign internationals? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's what you said is very interesting because the auctions, when they started, were happening in a physical space, inside courtrooms. But activists were going into these rooms, the courtrooms, trying to stop the auctioning of specific low-income houses. So the whole procedure were, was very, very slow. And this is something that the government and the European Commission didn't like. So that's how they decided to transfer the auctioning of uh, properties online. And this, uh, this platform was established in uh, 2017, if I'm not wrong. So you are also correct when you say that you can sit in your room in New York and bid in this auction. The only restriction is that you need a Greek VAT number in order to do so, which means that these companies can collaborate with Greek ones or Greek enablers in order to bid in this auction. So yeah, the whole idea is that banks should get rid of these bad loans of their balance sheets. This is why this whole auctioning thing has started. But bad loans means people's home. Most of the times, yes. We also have offices, we have land, we have plots, we have either mobile properties such as cars or coffee machines from a cafeteria that couldn't pay back their debt to the banks because we are not talking about mortgages. We are talking about business loans as well. But both of them has as a collateral a house. At a stage like this, we have something called vulture funds. And the vultures, they are looking for, you know, for dead bodies on the street, you know. They don't really have to hunt to get it. They don't, they don't need to work. So they, they can also pick up these these properties for a very reduced amount of money, I guess. So it because that was happened also in the US that that people had mortgages for high sums, but then the the the, the vulture funds came in and, and bought them for a very reduced number of money. And I mean we had a pre- previous story here from California with Aaron Glanz, yeah, about how the how the vulture funds took over in the US. And I and the the interesting thing is that these the more money you have the the less you have to pay. Yeah, that's interesting because this what is happening in Greece these days as well. I mean that because banks uh, cannot service this big process, they they say that they do not have the time or the know-how or the human resources. Big international 
debt collecting companies started playing in this game as well since 2016, 2017. So we have seen big uh, debt collecting corporations. Some of them come from Scandinavia and the others come from the southern parts of Europe mainly. Today in Greece, we have around 25 companies of this kind. And what they do is that they come into an agreement with the bank. The bank sells off big portfolios of non-performing loans to these companies for a very, very low price. We have instances of the initial value of the book being, let's say, 1 billion euros, and these companies have bought it for 100 million euros. 10%? 10%. We have instances of 5, of 20, of 25. What people, debtors, actually do not know is that this has happened, that their loan has been bought by another company and it has been transferred outside Greece. We have seen the offshoring of non-performing loans to Ireland into designated activity companies. Uh, so we have seen the transfer of the loan and the personal data of the debtor. So you can imagine all the stigma and the trauma paying back your debt can cause to you. We have many stories of people going into depression or losing weight or other diseases which are related to debt. But then, Sotiris, I, I mean, I can imagine if you, if if seventy percent of an area have to move out. You know, if so many people or 50% of everybody who has a loan can't pay it back, this becomes like a collective depression also. So there is, it's a whole society under a lot of pressure. And the strange thing is that the solution to save Greece is to, it's almost to kick out the Greeks. <laughs> it's like a bit silly, isn't it? It's not, it doesn't really, doesn't seem like a very smart method uh to okay let's keep greece but kick out the greeks i don't i'm not sure i like that politics it's it's kind of very bad politics so we we have talked a lot about in our podcast about um the new financial crisis that we're living in the pandemic crisis which there is a risk of course that also this crisis will strengthen the stronger ones and we can already see that they are they are out shopping a lot because the rest of us are under a lot of financial stress, but the guys with the pockets full of money, they, they can move now. Can you see that also in Greece right now? Yes, I can see that. There are moratoriums when it comes to paying back your debt or the auctioning of your property, but transactions between banks and debt collecting companies and their investors haven't stopped during the pandemic, which means that in my view, they are starting building the next day for them because the moratoriums are going to finish, I think, in May. So what is going to happen after that? And remember that in May, tourism is going to open again in Greece. So we have both the opening of tourism and the finishing of the moratoriums. And things are going to be even more wild than now because we also have a new law that comes when, when it comes to your personal debt and how you're going to pay back to the banks. Mm. Leilani, what do you say as a human rights 
advocate? Oh, a number of things. It's making me cry. The, this conversation is making me cry because I, I do consider Greece to be a jewel. Um, it's a jewel of a country. And the idea, what you said, Frederick, is I think you put it... Um, I think what you said is right. It's this this uh, the way to save Greece is to wrest it away from Greeks and allow uber tourism and um, an exploitation of its economic base by international investors. It's 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 I find it very very depressing myself. Uh, um, I also want to say that the work that you're doing, Soteris, is really important for human rights work, actually. We can't defend human rights without data. And the data you're generating is something human rights lawyers like myself cannot generate and can't. I mean, I, I love reading it. I get goosebumps reading it because it's like, ah, there's the evidence. There's the fact. I feel things as a human rights lawyer, and I, 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 I know things through people's experiences, but the data is super important. So it's really, I think, in this next period, in this so-called recovery period, which you just described as not being about recovery, but really more suffering potentially for the, the people of Greece, it's super important that you keep getting that data out there and showing who owns Athens, who owns the islands, um, because otherwise it's hard to fight if we don't know who the who it is that we're supposed to be fighting, right? On on the blurb of this uh, podcast, if you listen, you can go to the text that is on Spotify or wherever you find it. There, we will put a link to Sotiris uh, data so you can see for yourself. And I, I think also as an inspiration for activists in other countries. To, to map the ownership of your city is, is a very first step to, to see the pattern because the change is extreme in Athens, but it happens everywhere. Uh, so this concentration of power and the, the, the financialization of our cities because the money is now global floating in everywhere. And the owners, and the investors, they don't even know where their money sits. So it's like this kind of, it's the monster. It's the cloud of money that don't care about anything because they don't know. It's just an investment. It's just, a, yeah, I, you know, I have some money. I should invest so I can get some good return of my investment. You know, it's like a very simple business idea. But there is a conflict with human rights, isn't it? Well, there most definitely is a conflict. Uh And, and the government of Greece knows that. They know their international human rights obligations. They know they have the right to ensure adequate housing for their population. And so the question is that they have to answer is how um, are these policies, golden visa, allowing Airbnb in, the auctioning of foreclosed homes and other properties, how is that consistent with their human rights obligations? They are meant to defend that uh, before the United Nations. So... Uh, we have to keep the pressure up. Certainly, the shift is trying to keep the pressure up, uh, but uh, that's that's we have to hold them accountable. So, Tears, we are ending up our podcast. So, any any final words from you to that we should know about about Greece? Yeah, one interesting uh, thing in this whole process of my investigations is always data and actually the lack of data, because as you said, I'm generating the data. So as part of uh, an investigation that I've been doing recently, I wanted to know how many people own their house and how many people rent their house in Athens. So 
we do not have this kind of data in the local level. And I'm wondering how the government and the local government are going to design and implement policies for the people of Athens and Greece without knowing basic information about us. That's I, that's totally valid. And I mean, normally when I go to a country, when I was rapporteur, for example, uh, and I'm trying to assess whether a government's meeting its human rights obligations, I need to know what's the housing deficit? What, you know, how many renters, how many owners, what's the average cost of rent, what's the average income, social assistance, or, you know, these sorts of things. And if that data is not available, uh, then the government fails. <laughs> <laughs> right it's a it's a not a passing grade no on the same time it's like the european union the european central bank the, 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 the government of germany everybody put a lot of pressure on greece to open up its country but obviously they didn't know really what country they wanted to open up they just wanted to because nobody really knew the effects of of these uh, of the measures we had a, an episode here with the Franz Timmermans from the European Commission and he admitted clearly that the measures that the European Union did in 2008 and after was wrong they they didn't have, they they worked out really badly so i think that europe is also responsible in this case so we should together like uh, stand up for the, for for greece yeah Stand up for Greece. <laughs> Push has been shown around Greece. And if, if you want to see it, if you're based in Greece, we also have it with Greek subtitles. Uh, the film is, you can find the film on pushthefilm.com and uh, share it with friends. And we can organize more screenings. We have, we have a screening partner in Athens, so we can do more screenings also, Sotiris, if you want to. Yes, please. Yes. Let's, let's, and of course, Leilani and I want to finally get out of of our you of your bunker in I, Ottawa? I, I, so. I can't even express. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> express how um, much I would love to travel to Greece and, and work a little more closely with you, Sotiris, and, and, and figure out ways to really um, bring to the world what's happening there because it's, uh, you are part of the European Union. Uh, and it's really, it's, it's remarkable, actually, the little attention um, that Greece gets. But also, we need to connect movements, you know, get movements going in Greece. There already are right to housing movements. I know that I've been in touch with them and make sure they're well connected to other movements globally. Yeah, of course, you should have, I mean, for, for Athens, it's obvious that you should talk more with, with Barcelona because there is a lot of experiences coming out that they're very parallel in many ways with the touristification and so on. Even if the specifics are different from Greece to to Spain, of course. But the, the those debt company, the companies that buy cheap debt, they're everywhere. I mean, it's Cerberus or Cerberus is one of them, for example. Yes. Uh, I know that they're in Spain, they're in Italy, they're in Portugal, and in Greece. So there's lots of commonalities. So we need to start connecting more and more connections. And we should put more light on the vultures, Elani. Yes. True. Mm. Vulture hunting is the next. <laughs> Are you on? I'm waiting for Sotiris to give me the data. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. The data is coming. So thank you very much for, for being um, with us, Sotiris. And, and um, keep sending us stuff. And, and let's keep talking because it's the, your experiences are really important. And your method, I think, is 
is advanced and an inspiration. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Otiris. Thank you, guys. And Leilani, we have to talk soon again because we have more episodes coming up. It never That's ends. That's true. It never, never ends. Stop. Okay. And you do the you do the the money thing. Oh yeah. So we do this podcast with zero resources. It's out of love and commitment. But some resources would be good. So how do they get how do we get resources, Frederick? Uh, you, I mean, if you consider us a friend of Pushback Talks, you can beat it. You can formally beat by entering something called Patreon, Patreon.com, Pushback Talks, and then you can register for two dollar a month, or five dollar, or you know, even more. And then you you become like a family member, and then then and you know, family is closer, so it's a good thing to be. So please join uh, Pushback Talks on Patreon. It would be nice. So talk soon. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks, Otiris. Bye, guys. Thanks, Frederick. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week.